to another special episode of Swing Thoughts. I'm Golf Spiritual Leader, but you knew that, along with my dear, dear friend, my amigo, my compadre. I feel like we're brothers from different mothers. His mother was Catholic, mine was Hebrew, but yet we came together. <laughs> it's Coach Tim. Who oh, you started off in a <laughs> having some fun today? I don't know where we're going. Doesn't matter so, where so we're going. It's not like we were in kindergarten. Welcome, yeah. boys and girls. That's right. Welcome, everyone. Little Timmy believes in Jesus. Howard believes Jesus was a very nice man. <laughs> uh, we got a great show for you today. Thanks for uh, joining us for this episode. As always, brought to you by JWApparelInc.com. Uh, JW, we're going to be uh, rocking some new uh, fairway and green, zero restriction, be dratty. Our new stuff is on the way. Uh, if you want to get part of it, jwapparelinc.com. I think probably one of the most asked questions of me so far, I don't know about you, Tim, from people who know that we play tailor-made gear, obviously, hey, man. I see you have the carbon wood, and I go, oh, thanks for noticing. <laughs> Pretty proud that I can still get some at 62. But anyway, that's a different story. Everyone wants, everyone wants to know, and have you had this question, is it really much better? How does it work? Should I get one? Um, my response is always yes, uh, but I would tell you I have had some recent experience, Tim, where I've seen, starting to see as the weather's gotten warmer, some of the benefits of that driver but what's your experience with it? Uh, the experience is that people love looking at it for sure. And my own personal experience in hitting it is that sometimes when I think it's off the toe and ah, it still goes out there. Yeah, it still goes out there very nicely. And it's I think it's partially that gear effect, but also the effect of that face it's just does something to, to keep it out there a little bit farther. Um, yeah, I just find it works it, it works really nicely in terms of me being able to have just a feeling of nice solid hit. Yeah. And and the sound is just lovely. I just the, the whole thing the from the aesthetics of the way it looks to the way it sounds, the way it feels, uh it's it's really cool. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, a lot of players will take, you know, I was, was waiting on a tee and they'll grab it for me and the first thing they say is I love the way it looks. But I can tell you since our last podcast I hit it, I think with my brother, maybe. I hit one shot. There, I've had a couple of experiences like this now where I hit what I thought was a really good, I made a good swing, made good contact, that instinct, you know, that sensation, all those things that added up to like, hey, I think I, I really flushed that. And then just like you described, like it just kept going. Like, you know, one of the things they say in, in technologically, what carbon wood has done is added some speed. So they say a couple of miles an hour for sure. And I wasn't sure that I was getting that because it was cold and it's been sh- crappy, you know, spring conditions. But that one drive, I was like, wow, was, I went up to where it was. And I was like, this can't really be my ball because I'm 100. But uh, <laughs> I will just tell you, find out more at tailormadegolf.ca. And, uh, you know, every year that they've, they seem to improve it a little bit each time. And I think this is one of their bigger leaps technologically for a long time. Yeah. And just uh, this week, they just uh, announced that they re-signed, um, you may have heard of him, Rory McIlroy. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they re-signed Rory this week. So have you ever, do you ever refer to him as Roars? Because I don't. 
I don't either. Yeah, I Although refuse to. I have teas. I have teas that I got from <laughs> from uh, from uh, TaylorMade that say Roars on them. Yeah, like I can't you, do it. You place the ball <laughs> in this thing that says Roars, and I went, well. I don't experience roars when people watch me hit a golf ball, and I would never call him roars either. But no. there you go, Taylor May people. You can have your fun. <laughs> but that's one of those things. It's like almost like a manufactured nickname. Hey, I know we'll call him roars. I don't. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I can just I think tell Rory you, Rory works very nicely. Rory McIlroy, uh, like a lot of players, using the uh, TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X, trusted by Roars, DJ Morikawa, Henderson, Glassman, and O'Connor. Find out more about that product at TaylorMadeGolf.ca. So Tim has been coaching players uh, as long as we've been doing this podcast, and I've been doing some informal coaching uh, for a few years. But recently, I. You know, started coaching some guys on the Decade app, Decade Devotees, who are, it's funny because everyone I work with has come from Swing Thoughts. So they're Swing Thoughts, they're STDs and Double Ds. There's a lot of D going on. (laughs) By the way, before we continue, you know, the overwhelming feedback I got from last week's show was you swearing... (laughs) You swearing as much as you did. Not only did our guest today make a comment to me, but I got several texts from guys going, yeah, that was crazy. O'Connor went fuck wild. I go, I know. And I said to one guy, I said, it was like hearing your mom swear. Because I swear all the time. So it's like, yeah, whatever. But Timmy went, I think we're, we should take a, uh, uh, have like a bingo card because you did three last week. Which three in one episode for you might be three more than you've done in all the episodes, but it was very exciting. Uh, well, you're creating an environment where I can just get into a state of flow. How's that? Our uh, guest today is a, an avid player who wrote back, loved the show. Fucking Tim, lol. Uh, Tim pulling the bathtub plug on fuck and letting them rip. This is what the response was from the people. Whoa. Um, our guest is my friend and... Uh, client brendan mccormick who is a uh, very very smart young man he works with my brother david in a, a world where they give seminars on uh, leadership training and it's interesting because when i had my debrief with brendan last week uh, for decade my older brother who works with brendan as a coach as well we, it was like glassman on glassman and brendan it was quite an experience for us all and uh, all by way of saying welcome to the show brendan Thank you, guys. Good morning. Well, Brendan, why don't you give us a little background on you as a golfer and how you came to be a part of the GSL uh, group of, uh, you know, devotees? Sure. Um, my golf career, um, as it is today, has only been for about a year. Um, I've been golfing since, say, mid-2000s, generally a weekend warrior. It's more for the... Um, the laughs, the jokes, you know, two-man best ball just to get out and play. And um, I moved to BC um, for work in 2018, and I didn't bring my sticks with me. Uh, I had a real aversion to going out as a single, to going out and playing with, uh, you know, strangers, not having my, my tribe with me. So it took me a while to get over that, but last year I decided to do it. Um, went out, had an excellent time my first time, uh, just absolutely the group I went with were phenomenal. Couldn't have been more inviting, um, you know, offering tips. Um, they got me hooked up with a men's night that I kept going out just as a single. It's got me playing. 
um, David had teased this podcast to me a few times because he and I had exchanged, you know, different conversations about the game. Most of mine was just quietly in the back corner of the range where people wouldn't see me. Um, and then I kind of opened up a bit when I went out and got on listening to this, um, paying a lot more attention to the intention. Um, started out around, I'd say, probably a plus 26 or for those of us that were listening last week, know that I repeated that. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> over, but over the course of the last year, you know, consistently playing in the 12 14 range, mm-hmm. um, hit a, I would say, plateaued a bit there. Um, and I think it, um, you know, to something that really jumped out for me, not to spoil it for the rest of the show, because I'm sure you're going to quiz me on it, but, um, my process. Mm hmm. So my process has been going to the range, hitting as many balls as I possibly can and remembering the good ones and then wondering why the hell that doesn't translate on course. Mm-hmm. So you came to the podcast, you heard some conversations. I know from my brother that you hit the Tim, um, Brendan, whatever his handicap is, he's got like 115, 118 club head speed. So he's young and he hits it. He hits with speed and and his numbers are very impressive. And, and but fast forward to last week, Brendan goes into his first tournament. So the background is Brendan's a seeker. He he understands psychology, and I think that's what tr- attracted. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. What it attracted you to us because this isn't like your regular podcast on golf. We do a lot of different stuff here. A lot of which is, you know, applicable to golf and life as well. So we were talking, and Brendan and I started talking and working together on the decade system and going through process, and Brendan had his first tournament. And as I read last week, it went as you would expect somebody's first tournament to go. Madness, chaos, frustration, tears, rage, crying, you know, that type of thing. Kind of like a relationship, (laughs) you know, a lot of stuff going on there. So I won't, I'll get to this in a second, but Brendan, just maybe remind our audience, what was your experience? Just give us a bit of a a sense of it from your perspective. Um, (laughs) It was a fast untangling of everything I thought I knew. (laughs) So um, I started out with a great range session, you know, backing away, looking at the shot, pre-shot routine, picking targets, seeing results, making some slight changes. I felt fantastic. Um, last group to go out, so I got to stay on the putting green just next to the first tee. Rolling putts felt really good. Um, I was you know, changing my angles, doing different distances and speed drills, and I felt fantastic. Um, got up our group. Um, one of the guys threw the tee. I showed up first, so... I get up on the tee. I'm ready to go. I look down the fairway. I said, that's not so bad. And I can feel my heart pumping. And the fairway starts to narrow. <laughs> and then I pull hook it straight into the trees. <laughs> Just an absolute visual narrowing. And then, you know, I swung at it. I felt I felt great with the swing. I made great contact. But when I looked up, I went, oh, that's the wrong direction. So and besides, I don't want I don't want to go through the, the the whole hole, but remember everyone from last week. Brendan described that he hit his tee shot in the trees, and he hit his next shot next to the second tee box, and in front of a bunch of guys waiting to play, he had to play his shots. You know, sculled it, and a bunch of chaos happened, and that just sort of began a day of chaos where you shot way more than you wanted to or thought you would. 
But I'm more interested, rather than the minutia, what was going on inside you? And then afterwards, I'm going to read, you felt pretty bad about it afterwards for a while. So just talk to us about that. I still do. <laughs> well, we're, this is why you were doing so, another intervention here with Coach Tim. Yes. Uh, tell, yes so tell yes. us about your round, and then you. Uh, then I want you to express, because I know you're articulate, why you felt bad and, and still have some lingering whatever about it. And Brendan, you're safe here, okay? Just, we're listening. It's a safe space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so on the back on the back of that drive, it it stuck with me. So you know that when we everybody talks about, you leave it behind you, right? You accept it. You can swear. You can kick. You can pout. But just leave that in the past, and then move on to your next shot. I decided for some reason to compound each shot and bring all of them into my next shot, and it it really. It really impacted my judgment on where to go. So it was straight ahead and as hard as possible is essentially what I I defaulted to, right? Try and pull out one shot that the rest of the group goes, oh, yeah, he can play. And I'll go, oh, there it is. That's the one I'm looking for, that magic one. So I was in search of that most of the day and not really, you know, I remember I told you, I said, no, don't worry, GSL, I'm committed to the lowest score possible today. That's my commitment. Mm-hmm. I wasn't committed that, to that in the least. Mm-hmm. I was committed, and what I saw halfway through the round, I was committed to looking good. I wanted to go out, show the three other guys that I could play. I've been putting in the work, see what I can do. And I couldn't get any closer. The, the harder I tried, the further I got from de, you know delivering that or a low score. It just mm-hmm. really started to get away from me. So I, I did discount any of the good shots that I made because – as I told you, they wouldn't have made the difference. So, well, let me just really let me let me interject because in a, in a round that you thought was so horrible, when we were talking about it privately, you know, we talked about two or three of those par threes where you made great swings, got it on the green. It was almost it was weird because until we talked about it, Brendan didn't even recall that there were three or four very good holes and some excellent swings. Tim, maybe you can pop in now and reflect a little bit on why that is about looking good becomes more important than playing good and and how others can affect our confidence and how results are if we're not getting the results we think we deserve how that also it's like our confidence just starts to spiral and spiral and pretty soon you don't recognize yourself right timmy indeed the when you're in that state when you know you're, you're it's your first tournament for sure the chaos things aren't going right you're just in a survival state that's that's what it is and so you we're social animals and so if we're trying to survive it's almost like how are, are, in an instinctual way are these people going to want to kill me mm. <laughs> am i safe at all and so that's what we start to do i mean it's we're wired that way as humans we're we are wired to be with others. We're pack animals. And so when things start to happen, we start to are, are sort of what I call, and I'm sure this comes up in the coaching that you and David do, our, presti- our status is, is threatened. You know, what we start off like this, and then as we go along, they're ascending here and we're down here and we're fighting for our lives. So that's a that's a sense what's going on. Like, am I going to look good? Am I going to be basically uh, shunned from the group? Are they going to just stop talking to me? All that stuff. Will they so, not share their fire with me? Exactly, exactly. And, and when we finally make the kill, yeah. am I going to get the hindquarter? Uh, 
Brendan, how does any of that resound, uh, resonate for you? Um, sounds like you were standing right behind me, <laughs> witnessing it all, Tim. Um, although the one thing that was quite different for me is is the group was fantastic. You know, they they said what they needed to say when they said when they wanted to say it. Um, you know, didn't try to start coaching me by any means or giving me any, but you know, just saying those few little things that just kind of keep you engaged, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but also, so, it's interesting. Um, well, it it did feel like a. It, it did, sorry, I was just going to say it did feel like I was trying to survive out there. It felt very lonely. There was a few times I caught myself walking up, you know, like the walking up the rough on the opposite side of the group, just trying to collect my thoughts or distance myself to try and. You know, ground myself, or you know, really, I was just talking to myself out loud like a madman, saying, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Why is this happening to me? Well, that's what's interesting is that um, you and you just said it. You're th- talking to yourself. Meanwhile, you're with this group of guys that you said are wonderful guys. They're just they're, they're trying to help you, but you're going through this internal drama that's mm-hmm. all of your own making, and that's that's the thing. That's where. Over time, Brendan, as you play in more tournaments, you'll get more awareness with more experience of certain things will happen to you that you'll start to you'll have certain behavior patterns and ways you'll start to think and to be conscious of yourself. Oh, I'm doing that thing again. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm concerned about how I'm going to look or try and look good. So what I need to do? Well, (laughs) stop doing that for one. Howard. Well, I was going to say, but it's, it's very, Brendan, what did we talk about um, in our session last week? I said, all these things that happened to you, perfectly normal. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this miss that you had going. I said, listen, dude, you're just going to pull hooks. You're a good, you're a good swinger of the golf club and good, good swingers pull hook shots from time to time. Because Brendan was like, well, I'm going to the range and I ironed out the pull hook. I said, well, guess what? You will do it again. But the point I was making to Brendan was just that, that. You know, with experience, you you need to go through stuff to get experience. And what did I say to you, Brendan? By tournament six or seven, which he's playing a bunch of tournaments this summer, I said you every tournament will be another little gathering of information. So now I know what this feels like. Now I know to slow down a little bit and, and maybe talk a little bit, Brendan, about what we said that about the idea that with some experience, this stuff won't be as you know sort of internally freaking you out yeah i I was reflecting on that conversation because you know interestingly enough when i decided to finally go out as a single and just show up and get thrown into a group it felt very you know in, in reflection that first tournament felt very similar you know what are they thinking how do i look Am I playing well? Does it? Do I show up right? Am I doing all the right things? Do I know the rules? Am I standing in somebody's line? Am I in the all of those things that have nothing to do with adding that, to the that golf you, game? That you now take, but but interesting. But you now take those things for granted. You just do them by routine, right? And that's and that's what I reflected on is the things that were really you know pulling me away from being present standing on number one tee or halfway through the round or, you know, waiting for other people to putt and I'm standing off to the backside. Those things that I, you know, from what you said, I'm going to feel more natural in that element having now experienced it. Mm-hmm. And, and that truly for me is, is the big difference is because I can listen and I can understand 
but until I actually go through it myself, I don't really get it. And, and now there's a lot of things that I get that I thought I understood going off that tee, that first tee in that first tournament, that now I really get it because I went through it. I have that experience. Well, we talked about this last week, Tamar. I had this conversation with Doolin about the invisibility of process and, and how, you know, I can't, I said to Brendan, I can't tell you which tournament you're finally going to feel like yourself. I said, I played dozens of them. And I still have a bit of, you know, it takes me a while for my body to settle down. It just takes me less time because I've done it before. But back to Doolin, it won't be tournament six or seven or five, or, but there will be a moment if you just continue the process you're on where you will just look around and go, okay, I'm on the back nine, having a pretty decent day, feel pretty good. It'll, it'll occur to you that, oh, I've, I have come to this point now, but along the way, you're going to pull hook shots. You're going to skulls chips. You're going to hit shots out of bounds. You're going to take a higher score in a hole than you thought. All of that's going to happen. And you're still a decent And guy. you're a very nice person. Exactly. What, what this also <laughs> reminds me is, and here's the, Fred, the first Fred Shoemaker um, reference of the day. Uh, Fred says that understanding is the booby prize, meaning knowledge doesn't count for anything when you're when you're out there you can have all this all this knowledge about what you're supposed to do as you described you you described in an ideal way what a warm-up would be and the things you would do so all this knowledge but it's kind of like howard said um quoting i think mike tyson you have the greatest plan until you get punched in the <laughs> that's face. right everyone's got a good plan until you get that first knuckles to the jaw Exactly. And so and you were right into it. You got punched in the face by tournament golf. And so the knowledge goes out the window and we're right back to, in essence, as I said earlier, about survival. And that the only way that you survive is through going through that those hard experiences. That's it. There's no substitute for it, but hard experience. And from that, you'll just start to things will come up and you start to go, whoa, well, it's not as big a deal as it maybe used to be. Or I'm paying attention to this. Oh, what do I need to do? Okay, I'll come back and actually this will serve me rather than that. So let me, in Brendan's own words, before we wrap up, this is what Brendan took away. He said, I didn't, I, I didn't just get in and play. I didn't focus on the shot in front of me, but rather the one I had before. I made bad decisions. I got upset when things didn't work out. <clears throat> I focused on my overall score. Bad followed bad. Uh, the number one thing I realized, I was playing golf swing the entire, wait for it, a fucking day. Now, the reason I wanted to end on that is that is every golfer listening has had that experience, whether it's in the club championship or a tournament or just around with your buddies playing for five bucks. We've all felt that. And I can't tell you, you will never feel that again. But I promise you this, that if you can invest more in the process and the things that we're talking about off this show. That's really, and, and I mean, not just in tournaments. Like I learned a lesson because I used to sort of be in a, in a non-tournament, I would just be like, oh, f- you know, give me that pod or let me try that over again or not care or whatever. And I realized I needed to learn to, f- to, to work in non-tournament situations to make it habitual the way I behaved so that when I got under pressure, the way I behave as a golfer just became, again, part of my habit. I didn't have to change when I went into a tournament. So when you're doing your fun rounds now, 
imagine you're in those situations again and practice like maybe not just physically but practice mentally like okay here i am in the trees now if this was a tournament what would i do and i think you'll be uh pleased with the results the next time you tee it up that's why you're the gsl yeah after our last he is the gsl after our, our debrief on, on that comment about the confidence comes from the process, yes, not from results, that had me reflect and I saw a massive gap in my preparation. So I guess my parting thoughts on, on what that experience was like is me walking through the course through the day and then walking off going, how the hell did that just happen? All the work <laughs> yeah. that I put in. I have a swing coach, a mental coach, a strategy coach. I'm a decade devotee. I know where to play. You're I know listening all the to swing. To you're listening how the to swing hell thought. did that happen? Well, you know, well, you know, right. my answer was take go- me on the whole journey. No, because golf is hard, and yeah. you know these things we say. I things I say to you, like, and I say them because I think I'm clever. No, I say them because it's not it's not just words. It's true. If you can remind yourself, like, you know, the first thing you know, on a decade reference, but one of the first things he says is winning slash scoring slash golf is a matter of luck. There's so much luck involved in it that you just sort of have to kind of find a way. And again, remember, I'm the worst guy you've ever met for this stuff. You're going to be fine. You're a great golfer, and I can't wait to see where uh, this season takes you, okay? And, Brendan, just before you go, um, I want to honor you, sir. Um, Going into tournament golf, that takes a lot of courage. Yeah. A lot of people, and a lot of people won't do it because they just fear that their name will go up in some ungodly number. No. <laughs> but it's by putting yourself through that experience that you'll come out uh, much better in uh, in your golf and all parts of your life. So and, and absolutely for you, big and, guy. And, and Brandon, what did I say to you in the note before the tournament? I said, "Dude, you've already won because yep. you're teeing it up." That's the win, and I didn't. We didn't bring that up enough with uh, our debrief after it, because I think we congratulated you. But I wanted you to go away and think, man, at least I did it. You know, it's like, hey, listen, I've lots of people have gone on stage for the first time and bombed, but I always say, like, at least you had the balls to do it, even if they didn't have balls. All right, my friend, we got to go. Hope that. uh, Thanks for doing this today, Brendan. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. Nice to meet you, Brendan. And uh, reach out to me. We'll do uh, something the next couple of weeks. Okay. I think there's awesome. a bit of a delay Thanks, there. Okay, so now this was the part where it's going to be awkward. You'd let yourself. There we go. Thank you. Okay, coming up, we're going to. Uh, I actually, uh, I don't think I mentioned this before. I told you before we started recording, I spent a good hour and a bit with uh, Fawcett yesterday. Yeah. So I got some uh, cool Fawcett stuff. Um, and I he's dive into that, given that that would be a nice segue out of our. Brendan thing, or do you want to say? Well, no, I was going to say, I'll save it. Um, okay. Because, there are, you know, there's a few things there, but I, uh, he's going to be on the show, I think, in a few weeks. I've got him tentatively scheduled. And by the way, speaking of that, remind me, because I've written it down and I forgot to say, I think we may have double booked next week because I had somebody lined up, and they, that's fine. We can. We got Ed. We got Ed next week. Um, yeah. And it was also, I, I had asked uh, Kent, Scratch Attitude Kent. Oh, yeah. Cool. And we, I had booked him, but I'll, I'll move him to the next week if I can. Okay. Um, Tim had an interesting conversation with somebody that uh, I think is going to be uh, important for our audience. Joan Vicker 
uh, is an author, and uh, maybe you can describe who she is and why you were speaking to her. Okay. Well, uh, Joan Vickers is a professor of kinesiology at the University of Calgary, and she is recognized uh, around the world by sports scientists like our friend Ed Collins um, for... I don't know what to call it. I'll, I'll just say methodology. And it's called quiet eyes. And so she has studied this just like Gabriel Wolf. Um, she's done hundreds of studies on the application of what she calls quiet eyes to all kinds of sports. And I'll, I'll get into it in, in um, what those benefits are. But first, I, it was really interesting talking to her uh, last week. And that she was um, she was an academic in university, but she's also a very good athlete. And she had some amazing experiences. So she played on her uh, varsity volleyball team at the University of New Brunswick, and she served an entire game. She just she just never lost serve. Wow! I don't know that much about volleyball, but you think about the usual rotation of people. She just kept serving and winners, and it just for the entire game. That's all she did. So it's like wow. she was in the zone in a, in a complete flow state. She also played for the varsity basketball team, and in one game she scored twenty seven points. Wow! And she went, "How does this happen?" I mean, she was just in this zone state. So. As an athlete, she had experienced these types of things a few times, but she wanted to, to figure it out a little bit more. So she ended up at the University of Calgary, and she just got interested in how we perceive the world and relate to it through our eyes. And she just became more and more um, fascinated in that. And there's a whole bunch of things came, and she, she did this... Uh, this monumental work that uh, resulted in what's known as is, is the quiet eyes methodology. And so now to connect it to me, the reason I became fascinated in this is that for a number of years, particularly in the short game uh, coaching that I do and clinics, and we've talked about it on this show, it's called, uh, there's an exercise called the retinal afterimage. Mm-hmm. Like you and I have done it, where yeah, it's a it's a shoemaker thing, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and you pick you pick a spot on the ball. Maybe it's a, a a dimple where the sun is shining off of it, or the the tea and tailor made whatever, and you focus on that. And after you hit the putt, you keep your eyes in that same exact location of say that dimple or that tea and tailor made. And if you do that, what happens? You see this 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 image afterwards. Usually, it's kind of like a grayish or dark little sort of circle on the green, and that's called a retinal after image. Mm-hmm. And when when my students do that, and when I do it, it it quiets the mind, and it just allows us to perform a lot better for all kinds of different reasons. So. I went, hmm, how does this... So I learned about this quiet eyes thing, actually through Ed, through Dr. Ed, who will talk about this a little bit more. And so I just started to uh, to learn more about it, paid about 100 bucks <laughs> for her textbook, <laughs> and we chatted last week. And uh, it was just a fascinating conversation. I got to understand a lot more why 
it works. But maybe for I drone on a little bit more. Well, no, no, I, I'm um, fascinated. By the way, the book is called Perception, Cognition, and Decision Training, The Quiet Eye in Action. And it's, uh, it's not a, you know, it's not cheap. It's a... You know, it's a big time purchase, but it's a, she's, he's a professor and it's a, a sort of a scholarly. Very academic. Very sure. academic. But um, no, I'm fascinated by this, of course, as every golfer would be like, okay, I, I, hear, I hear what Tim's saying. How will this make me a better putter? <laughs> <laughs> so keep well, going, man. Okay. Well, what it does is, um, well, in performance, one of the largest things that gets in our way is in a sense our our self-interference our mind and thinking about the things that we're supposed to do how we're supposed to perhaps swing the putter you know accelerate keep my head down all that good stuff or then there's the story what if i miss or this is for double or or if i miss this am i a choker inner voice all this kind of stuff all this stuff goes on and, you know, think about when you're trying – the common experience of so many golfers is when they've got, say, a short putt that they that means something to them. And what the common experience is that they have this sense of anxiety um, about what's going on. They, they maybe – they think, okay, I have to really focus on my mechanics and where's the hole, and they get very careful. And what happens is is that our eyes start darting around. And, you know, we'll look at, oh, there's the ball – also, all unconsciously, of course. Mm-hmm. So there's there's the ball. Am I am I lined up to the hole correctly? And so the eyes are moving all over the place, and in, and includes like we'll watch the putter go back, and so what? One of the things that I talk with Doctor Vickers about is that when we are in a state of chaos, somewhat like our our friend Brendan there, when we feel threatened and we're anxious. Our eyes dart all over the place. You think of like any kind of a movie where someone looks scared. They're like, their eyes are going all over. But it's, I mean, if I may just jump into it, um, you know, because it's it's evolutionary. Our eyes are dotting around because we're looking for danger. 100%. Absolutely. And, you know, that's why this stuff is all relative. You know, you talk to people about, you know, who can't make short putts. You say, well, it's trauma. What do you mean trauma? War is trauma. Getting mugged is trauma. No, no. Our body looks at it the same thing. So what she found is there's a number of benefits. So here, here I'll basically tell you how, how to apply quiet eyes. Is Say you have that short putt that, that you feel anxious over. Well, you look at the hole. You pick the spot, say, where you want the ball to, to enter the hole or maybe it's a fleck of paint on the back of the cup or piece of grass or something. You go, okay, that's my target. And you bring your eyes back to the ball and you ensure that your putter is centered. The, the, the sweet spot of your center is right in the center of the ball. Mm-hmm. And usually you could look at the top of the ball, but... In quiet eyes, she suggests people just look at the back of the ball, and you may you you fix your gaze, you fixate on that back of the ball, and you just keep your eyes there, and then the putter goes back, goes through, and you maintain looking down in that exact location where you were looking. So, and like the ocular after image or whatever. Yes, exactly. Not exactly. whatever. I apologize. What is it called? The ocular. 
Um, she doesn't talk about. But what, the, I'm sorry, but just remind. But you can see. You can see that. Just remind us. What is that phrase? Because I've already forgotten it. Retinal afterimage. Retinal afterimage. I was going to say, I've right. forgotten the name of it, but I've done it with you and on my own. And I'm going to tell you, if you're listening, you haven't tried it, it'll blow your mind, especially on a sunny day, because that retinal afterimage is so apparent. You're like, is that always there? But it's interesting. It's And it's not even staring till your eyes hurt. It's just sort of looking and then looking at that spot. It's quite freaky the first time you see it. Yeah. And you know who does it? Charles. I've watched Charles Simmons play tournament golf. You watch when he putts. That putt is gone. He's still looking down. Mm-hmm. This is what elite players do. They keep their eyes on that ball after where that ball was after it is gone for at least one second or two. So here's the benefits of it. One is you're not thinking. You're not in that, oh, you know, I hope I make it or there's nothing instructional because your your mind is focused on the task at hand, which is looking at the back of the ball. So it silences that thinking and allows your and it keeps you completely in the present moment. So to use the language of people like Joan Vickers and Ed Collins, your body's able to self-organize mm-hmm. and it's able to, to apply the 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 stroke so it hits the ball you know as accurately as it can and the right distance in effect we get out of the way and so one of the other benefits that dr vickers says is that when we're in that state of having our gaze you know fixated it quiets the left side of our brain which is the analytical side. That's the side that barks its instructions at us and all that kind of thing. And the right side is more kind of engaged. And so for all kinds of reasons, this quiet eyes thing is super beneficial in allowing us to make a free stroke, you know, without the typical kind of things that happen with we get jabby or decel, that kind of thing, or get careful or to be thinking or have our inner critic going at us. It just quiets everything down. So I think it's a it's a lovely uh, metaphor, if you will. Quiet eyes allows you to quiet all kinds of things that can normally going on when we're in um, you know a state of stress and trying to make uh, putts. And it also just quickly, it also uh, I don't want to say say works, but when you apply it to uh, bunker play, chipping, pitching, and your long game, similar things happen. It just well, I was gonna I was down. gonna step in there because. Again, having done the ocular retinal after breakfast image, uh, and I, I, I see how it applies to putting. Yeah. I got a couple things, but how? What? Let me put it this way: there's there's a thing that Doolin. One of the first things I ever learned from Paul was the eyes up, tits up, looking yeah. at the horizon as opposed to looking down. What it does is it you know it's there's a physiological component to having an elevated gaze. It takes you out of you know that's the 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 opposite is when you look down at your feet, you're moping, you're pissed off, you're inside. Where your eyes are up, you're at least engaged in the uh, world around you. How does the you know, that image or or looking at the back of the ball as it applies to putting, how would that apply to a longer swing or a bunker shot or chipping? Because in chipping and in the movement of our golf swings, we don't want to have our heads 
fixated on a spot because it does a lot of things technically that are very pleasing. The way it applies to the rest of our game is is largely somewhat the same, is that it quiets us down. You, you know, our listeners, I'm sure if we did a poll with them right now and you asked them, when you played your best golf, did you have a lot of thoughts? Did you have a lot of swing thoughts going on? Where is it like, you know, oh, I got to make sure I do this with my left wrist or this with my, my right elbow? And, oh, can you know, i am got a good round going on the 15th tee. Can I get it to the house? No, when we're playing our best, we're, in essence, we're, we're a lot quieter. And our our ego, our minds, our thoughts are, we're just not having, that. We're, we're just not in that state of a lot of thinking. So when you use a technique like this, like quiet eyes, or the retinal after image, you're in essence distracting the ego mind mm-hmm. because it's on task to focus that. And that's one of the things about the, the human brain is that one of its limitations is we can't think of two things at once. So when you apply, when you have the intention to focus your attention on something like that, it, it quiets things down. And that is just a principle of performance. Um, I was going to say, too, but I, so what I just realized, you can, you, it, yeah, when you're playing well, basically over the ball, you're staring at the ball in, in a manner that just that's kind of this image of you're looking at where you what you're going to do as opposed to how you're going to do it. There's the ball. Yep. I'm going to hit it. I just didn't want people to be confused and think that you're supposed to keep looking at that spot after you've hit driver. It's more after you've hit the driver. I think I think it does help. I mean, one of the things I think about in iron play and in driving, it's the you see, so many people are so worried about what's the result. No, is I know this, is this ball going to go where I want it to go. So by watching the the driver hit it, kind of job done. Hit it. No, then. I I know, but I guess what I'm trying to just in case somebody thinks. Yep. We want you to hit it and then, like, no, not release your body. I, I, I totally get that, you know, staring or being fixated on the back of the ball as as opposed to how what's my backswing swing thought and then what's my transition, etc. I get that. That makes total sense. <clears throat> and before we leave this part of the um, and I'm fascinated by this, obviously, perception, cognition and decision training because I can only imagine from not having bought the book, but my I'm extrapolating it now from what you're talking about that I'd like to have you talk a little bit about how being in a quiet mind state helps with decision making. Well, it keeps you usually emotionally neutral. Mm -hmm. You can't make good decisions from a state of being all a Twitter, if you will. That's right. And, <laughs> and so to to make good decisions, you've got to be fairly grounded. You've got to be you know, in your body and not being... So that, that helps you big time in that. And when she talks about decision, decision training, as it applies to golf, it would be, say, I'm looking at this, let's say it's a... It's a left to right putt for for me as a right hander, and so I see it entering the hole at say about seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. So I've decided that's my line, and that's one of the, so that's the training. I've I've decided that's where the ball is going to go in, and I line up. You do everything you normally do in in your process of putting. 
you know, you read the green, you select the putt, the, the apex where you think it's going to start to break, all that good stuff. And then you just, then you let it go. But the the language, we could get a little too um, off the mark with the language. So I don't actually like um, fixate or stare because a lot of times when you talk to people about it, it goes back to Rotella saying, you know, you focus on the leaf behind the green. And mm-hmm. it gets, I think it gets people a little bit too careful in thinking they have to sort of laser etch the this target into their body. If you have the intention of hitting there, the body self-organizes. So if we just allow our just, you know, whether it be the putt or a driver, and just watch that ball go through, your job's done. When, but so you don't like I don't like uh, I understand that fixation and stare have different connotations. So uh, would you want uses the word gaze, gaze or more or, or like place that. your attention? Yes, 100 percent. And placing your attention is huge in terms of any kind of performance, because the usual thing that we do is, again, we're anxious about the result. We want something. We want this thing to happen. We want this ball to to go to our target or roll into the hole. But what tends to happen is that, you know, with our eyes, physiologically, and with our thoughts, we're not in the present moment. Mm -hmm. We're not having a direct experience of what's actually happening. And the only way you can do that is by placing your attention on something. So you could... In different ways, you, so you could use quiet eyes, stare, you know, hold your gaze on the ball, or it could be that you're going to feel, say, the club head during the swing. It could be from putting all the way to hitting your driver, or placing your attention, say, you know, on 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 what your body feels like. Well, and that's really the, <clears throat> I guess, uh, key takeaway too. Uh, excuse me. It's not just about staring, uh, uh, trying to stare a hole into the ball or whatever. It's about, you know, and, and you said something interesting, too, about the, the quiet eye ideal quiets your ego mind. But where if you're placing your attention on the back of the ball or feeling the club head, any of those things are great. What you're not, uh, where your attention isn't is the guys uh, just hit the great shot. Can I clear that bunker? What am I, what if I hit another bad snap hook? You know, on and on and on. Because what that is, is the ego mind, you know, sort of taking you out of the process of this shot right here, right now with me, not against the other guys in my group. What do I need to do to move this golf ball? the best I can toward that place I'd like it to end up. That's placing your attention or gazing at the right, the right things that will at least give you a chance at hitting a decent shot. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and there's uh, it is, um, it is a distraction tool for sure. There's no getting around it. And, but that's what we need very often when we're in stressful situations yeah. is that ability to just to, to <laughs> stay with it. I'm such a child. I'm like, that's what I call my thing, a distraction tool. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean, I, I just didn't mean to interrupt this intellectual discussion with some more infantile nonsense. What's your distraction tool? Anyway, um, it's called perception, cognition and decision training. That's the book. Yeah. Quiet yeah. eye in action. If you want to be part of the Quiet Eye Revolution, that's what I'm calling it. Oh, yeah. The uh, Tim O'Connor and uh, you know, boy Nate. <laughs> Every time I see Nate, I'm like, how come you're so much younger than everybody? <laughs> anyway, boy <laughs> Nate, who uh, compared to us, I think he's in his 30s. Is he in his 30s, Nate? 
the early 40s. Is he really? But anyone, anyone, so like, <laughs> that's right. He's, he's 20 years younger than us. I know. Kids. That's well, kids. so funny. I, I do this joke in my act about being old and I have all these tags for it. And one of my favorite ones, and no, it doesn't always get a laugh, but it makes me laugh. I said, you know what I call 40 year olds? Kid. Anyway, um, but I, he Use is yourself, a kid. sir. That's like, the good teachers do that too. It's like the, the audience or your class, the kids in your class may not laugh, but it amused me. It, it amuses me. I call, you know what I call 40 year olds? Anyways, Nate's a kid. Nate and um, uh, Tim are doing a quiet eye or quiet mind golf. I'm going to get it mixed up now. I don't want to screw it up. Yeah, what do you call yeah. your program? Quiet mind? Quiet mind golf. And uh, yeah, we're, we're starting our, uh, our second month. And uh, so if you're interested, folks are still, you know, you could still enroll. Um, and we're uh, going to have our second live eyeball to eyeball session at Rattlesnake Point on Friday, weather permitting. Nice. So, looking forward to that. We're so we're moving into into how some of these principles of you know quiet eyes and these different things move into uh, the short game. So that's how you can uh, sign up, Tim O'Connor. Uh, it's actually uh, sorry, I've got uh, what is your year seven. Of, of O'Connor got the, the website so O'Connor Golf yeah, dots, O'Connor and uh, if you want to be like Brendan and uh, have a personal GSL yeah. coaching session you can just reach out to me um, I've got a few guys it's I find it interesting I've done like three sessions this week and as I've said to you before like I uh, I get a lot out of it because I sort of in talking to these guys I get to kind of remind myself like okay what is actually working and how can i help um but i couldn't help you kept talking about uh quiet eyes and i just kept thinking of this do you know this song it's uh hall and oats private eyes boom 97.3 did a little djing for you I would have guessed. I would have guessed the the band. I wouldn't have guessed the song. All right. Um, in our final few minutes, I, I won't go into too much. I had a great chat with Scott Fossey yesterday, and uh, I just feel really lucky that I can get on with him. Like you know, the things he's talking about, and the people he works with, and the fact that I get like an hour and twenty minutes of his time. That's cool. I uh, talked a lot about, you know, I, I wanted to get some feedback on, uh, you know, some of the guys I'm working with, some of the questions that come up. I had a couple actual app questions. And by the way, you know, most a lot of the sessions that I do with these guys, obviously, are a little chitty chat. But I what I do is I try and be as up to date on the things that are in the app as possible. So part of what I wanted to do with Scott was, you know, are there some things that you're working on or some of the things in the app that I should be sharing? And I surely I came up with it. He gave me a couple things. I know you've got decade, but I've been using it for a couple of years now. And he showed me in a few areas that I hadn't really investigated. One of which, and I don't want to get into it, but it's this will only make sense if you're already on the app. One is called coach moments. And what it does is it, it's goes through your round and gives you the coaching from the round 
and and what he recommended I do, and I'm going to recommend it to my guys, is what once you've entered and you've got some time, go back to the coach moments because that that's where sort of you'll see one. It's a visual um, rendering, sort of an animation of where you hit it, what happened, not just the strokes gained or lost on those shots, but also some of the mental performance. And what he recommended I do, and I'm going to start doing it, is after the round, just journaling a paragraph or two about what I thought went well and the places that I thought I could have used some improvement. So that was one. Also, there's a uh, thing called uh, combines. Now, everyone's heard of the um, uh, track man combine. But but this is a bunch of um, practice exercises. And uh, one, of the, one of the ones, it's, it's called the putting sim round. Simulates a round of putting. And it's 18 putts of various lengths that you're going to have on the golf course. And he was telling me about one of his university teams that's been using this, practicing this. Just every day, the guys go out and they're just a series of random putts and you score what you got out of uh, 18, obviously. You know, eight, eight, you know eight, how many putts did it take you to get 18 in the hole? Were they short or long? And he said, on the average for tour players and his elite athletes is 29.5, meaning out of 36 putts. Now, they're on, they're, some are two feet, some are 22 feet. But he said, that should be your goal. You should be doing this to try and get it under 30 putts. So there's a couple little sort of decade technical things. And again, if you're not using the app, get a hold of me. I can get you a deal on it. Um, we did talk. It was funny because, you know, I, I feel very flattered about what I'm going to tell you. Because, uh, you know, I'm a big nerd and I'm, you know, have an ego. But the very first thing he said when he came on the Zoom meeting, you know, he, you started going, hey, Scott, are you there? And as soon as he could see me, he went, I stand for lower scores. Because he finds this declaration that I've made pretty funny. But also, I think he's taken it, you know, taken it to... um Heart because yesterday, and I know maybe it was because he and I were talking, but somebody tweeted Fawcett um, about their round. And uh, let me just get to it if you'll just. Uh, so one of the guys that follows Fawcett said, Hey, Scott Fawcett, currently month three on the Foundations app. That's the entry level of Decade. He says, It's kind of clicked in the past week, and today I shot a net 65 in my club competition, gross 78, my best ever score. I don't even feel like I played that well. Thank you. And here was Scott's response. He said, As always, I stand for lower scores. And then he tagged me. And personal bests. Great job. And when I said to him, I said, well, I, listen, if you, you can take that, Scott, I'm glad that you... You put a little TM on it. Yeah, a little TM. But I, I said, I'm glad that you you like that because to me, that's what decade is. It's uh, not only the str- strategy in the terms of the math and the statistics, but what it did for me is it coalesced the idea of golf to one thought, which is, you know... I am committed to trying my best, and it's sort of sucky, but it's another way of saying I'm committed to trying my best on every shot, no matter where that shot comes in the round, no matter how I feel, no matter if it's the 18th hole, because if you can cull the whole experience to the shot you're playing and what's the best decision, then not not that golf's easy, but decisions are easier, 
And if I may drone on for a second, I have a real life example of this. This It's going to be, I think, a great example. So I played my first tournament. I call it a tournament because the, co- the score was recorded. There are no gimmies. You're not touching your ball. And at the end of the round, there's a winner and there's a loser. And we, you know, we played every Saturday morning, 50 guys teed up. But it was the first time I had to record a score. I mean, I've, I've handed some scores into Golf Canada, but there were, you know, was, we played one day. There was mud balls and guys were playing, you know, ball in hand. Tee it up, first hole, make a double bogey. So, and I three putt. Two things that don't, that rarely happen to me. But I, I, I won't bore you with the details, except I hit it into a bunker. I came out, the, the, I chipped out because I had no shot. I did the right thing. I got a little unlucky with the pitch out because it went down a hill and spun to the right. And now I had a 110-yard side hill, downhill lie, which I hit okay. But I hit it to the back of the green. I had a 60-foot putt, made a beautiful first putt, had six feet left, and just lipped out. So I made a double bogey, and I three-putted. But because I'm committed to the process, I go to the next hole and, and I can tell, listen, you know me a long time. No part of my internal thermostat even went up a degree. It, it was just kind of like, I was like, all right, well, that happens. I, I could tell, I gave myself the mental score. I gave myself five out of six because there was only one shot of those six that I hit that I, I felt I wasn't quite focused on. And it was the third shot because looking back at the lie I had, if I had given it a second I might have decided on a different shot. Maybe I would just take a longer club and rather than try and hit the green, just punch it up there. It was only 110 yards anyway. But here's the part I wanted to share with you. So I par the next hole. I par the next hole. And now I'm on the fourth hole of the round on a par five. I've got about 210 to the green hazards in front. And on this hole, I have a personal rule that if I'm not 200 or less and I'm not on a flat lie, I won't go for the green because it's long and narrow and Really, there's just either hit the green or you're in the hazard. Now, I'm in the hazard. I can always drop below and make a bogey. But in that moment, I had this flash of, well, I've made a double. Mm. <laughs> I made a double, and uh, I'd like to get that. I'd like to get one of those shots back. I had that thought for a second. And then I said, fuck that. I'm not playing this hole based on something that happened four holes ago. And I laid up third shot on the green had a 20 foot putt for par a birdie i should say made a nice putt didn't make it made a little bloop one one-handed tap in for five and marched on but that moment where i had i just i, I point out because I, I haven't ascended that much of course i thought man it'd be nice to get that double back now or it'd be nice to get a stroke back but that moment is a i think in, instructive it was for me anyway that I realized I, I, I was back to my commitment is what's the lowest score you can make right now? And I didn't want to make a bogey. I wanted to give my chance to make a four, as my buddy Henrik was said, would say, you still haven't even hit your third shot yet. Exactly. You don't know. You don't, if you lay up, you don't know. You could, golf happens. I could have said a 105-yard wedge shot. But I, but I know what I would have done a couple of years ago. I would have gone for that green. Because it was in my almost go zone i would have gone for that green because i would have been still part of me thinking about the first hole of this round so i didn't and i marched on and i played on and i i missed about a six foot putt on the 17th hole beautiful little putt just lipped out and i made a bogey on the 17th hole for only uh for a round of 75 if i don't bogey the 17th hole i go double and then 17 
pars in or, you know, shoot even par for 17 holes. So my point is, because the double bogey didn't affect me, I had the quiet mind, if you will, mm. ability to make decisions in the moment of the play. And I only point out that an earlier version of me would not have done that. An earlier version of me would have started with double. I would have been flushed and thinking, oh, you know, great, great start. You know, first yeah, way, to go. way to go, whatever, whatever. Why do I always start? Blah, 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 all that stuff. But the fourth hole is where I realized, you know, I've, I've, in, I've ingested this at a pretty deep level now. And that's not always there, but at a pretty regular level. Yes, I thought I should go for it. Yes, I could get a double, you know, maybe one of those strokes back. But I didn't make that decision. I made the decision that would make it the easiest it could be for me to make no worse than par. And as Henrik would say to me, pars are pretty good. <laughs> you know, make a bunch of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool stuff, man. That's really cool. That's a that's a great story. And I, what's interesting to me, if we connect back to uh, Brendan, is that um, he hasn't he has nowhere near the experience you have like none. And so that that awareness will may come to him if he keeps doing the work and plays in tournaments and and, and adopts a, a different mindset for for playing the game. Um, but so you've sort of married together this experience, all this experience you have with this knowledge and so now it's a it's a quite a lovely combination of things that you can draft off, but the key p- piece really at the end of the day is your awareness. And you know we all well it, it's like we all get triggered. Um, there's 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 some schools of thought that think in terms of psychology that I can quote cure myself of of something whatever it is I don't like. Eh, I don't agree with that at all. We'll have we'll always have reactions and ways of thinking, and what happened for you is quite quite normal. Ooh, we say, oh, here's an opportunity to get mm-hmm. one back. But you went, ooh, what is that here? I'm mature now. <laughs> I've got this experience, and it's not even at a conscious level. You just kind of go, oh, wait a sec. I'm not doing that this time. No, and interesting, if I may just interject, maturity, hang on a second. Just everyone pause, because Stan's babysitter is here. Uh, here she is. Hi, Lydia. Stan's about to bark. It's not a dog walker, it's a babysitter? Uh, well, Stan's my baby. Can you get the alarm, Lydia? Thanks. Um, it's so funny, because Stan loves Lydia. Uh, I know he does, but whenever I'm actually here and she comes to get him... By, by the way, I only do this during the golf season. Like, Lydia never sees me from November. November until, like, like a few weeks ago. I, and then she always knows, like, when I call up, she's like, oh, it's golf season again. There she is. You're going to have to drag him out of here, Lydia. <laughs> is it raining there at uh, Queensway in Islington? Where is he? Oh, no, he's right by me. Hi, buddy. See, look, he, he, ne- he would never come here. Go ahead. It's okay. It's so cute because he's like, go ahead, buddy. You're fine. You'll be fine with Lydia. <laughs> no, you don't have to. Um, thanks, hon. I want to say that the word maturity, because we both know that I'm an infant. I'm so immature. It's ridiculous. But what, what I wanted to connect with is what you said. I've had enough experiences that my outlook is a bit more mature than where Brendan's might be. And where that came from is I have had enough moments where I've made the right decision. 
or a a decision that led to a better outcome. I had enough of those moments now that mm-hmm. in that moment on Saturday, yeah, I'll tell you, you know, let me put it this way. If it was you and me and Brendan and David and it meant nothing, I still might not go for it is my point. Because in practice, I build the habits that are there for me when I'm not, when I'm playing for real. Yeah. Because I promise you, like unless I was doing a nine holer with you, just fooling around, I, what, what, then I might go for it. Because I might say, I wonder if I could cut this three wood in there. Because I would have had to take something off it. I might do that with you and I fooling around on a just an evening of golf. But I wouldn't do it if we were playing a game for funsies that I wanted to that I wanted to have a score. Yeah, and that's well, the point we, I was trying to make to Brennan is yeah. you need to learn this in practice before you can put it into play. That's right. Absolutely. That, I'm so glad we actually came back to that um, because the way we start to instill a high level of performance is always putting us ourselves in that in that state, being in that context of it. Of it, this really means something. So when someone has a you know has a four footer for double bogey and they just rake it back, um, I know that might expedite play and that kind of thing, but you're not gaining the benefit of going through the process of what you need to do to make a double bogey in in all kinds of play mm-hmm. and i've i've said it before is that that focus and concentration are are the key pieces and if we're giving up on rounds or giving ourselves things then when we're in that situation in a in a tournament you got to make you know a you got to you got a four footer for double on the first hole, and you haven't really putted for a double of consequence for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. That's going to be hard sledding. Yeah, man. And you want to have those reps in. You want to just. You want it not to be a big deal. It's yep. just something you do. Okay, I got another one of these, and so I'm going to go through my process and do it. But. You know, again, we'll kind of get some stories, get some drama in our head. Oh, I don't want to make double. I can just rake it back. Let's keep it moving. I mean, you don't want to be all, you don't want to spend all freaking day. Yeah, you know, I know. You want to be like, be uh, plumb bobbing uh, putts for triple bogey from 18 inches. Um, but it, it really is a key piece of performance. It's the way you play and the way you practice is the way you'll play when it, when you really want to play your best. Well, and that's what you're, I mean, I, you know, I, I play with a couple of guys at another course. That's all I'll say. And they're like, they like super gamey guys. Right. Um, and I always say at the beginning, I said, don't give me, don't give me anything. Like if it's a foot, like, I, okay, I'm not a dick about it. Like if it's a yeah. foot or six, just okay, fine. But it's, I always say like, if I have to mark it, then I want to put it. And I mean like two and a half feet. I'm going to mark that in a tournament and I don't care how long it takes. Yeah. Um, but to your point, if you're not, if you don't know what that feels like, to, and especially, by the way, I love that you use the example of a double, man. Because we all are going to have four and five foot putts sometimes for double. And, you know, those are the ones that I just, you absolutely have to make it because seven is not as good as six. Exactly. Um, I was just looking here on, there's a new uh, decade video. Scott was actually getting one ready while we were talking yesterday. And I said something. It was He was talking me through a tournament he had been in where he just shit the bed on a hole. And he was taking me through the hole. I thought it was interesting. Like, 
uh, USGA or some kind of big high level tournament qualifier. And he talked me through his process, and I, you know, I and and we were talking about like what happened and why did you hit it there. And I here's what I said. I said it's funny, even a guy like you. <laughs> this is what he left. I said even a guy like you is not as good as you think you are. And he laughed. Absolutely. I said, I said I think that more golfers. And this is another thing he took from me, but I love it. I said we're not as we're, none of us are as good as we think we are. So therefore. We need to make decisions based on how good we actually are. Ooh, well said. And he did this. He went, hang on. And he starts typing in and go, fuck, Scott, fuck. do you want me to be decade? But he, he loved it. And, and, and it's funny. I was just looking because I saw him put it in the slide for the video. I've just seen if it was there. And I, he, I said, that's so true of amateurs because we, we, we need to make decisions on our actual ability. You know, a prime example, and this is even tour players, the pins at the front, and as we know now from decade, even on tour, they hit 15 or 18% less to front pins. Amateurs are 30% less. I hit, you and I will hit 30% more greens and regulation to a middle or a back pin. Why? Because when our shitty seven iron shows up, at least we're on the green. When if you so if you have a front pin that's one forty five, you've got to play your one fifty five club or one sixty club because you might not hit it perfectly one forty five. Exactly. And that that thing I said to him, he liked it because it's it's what informs every decision on the golf course. A realistic, I you know, not only an assessment of your own abilities. But one of the things about the psychology of expectation management is a realistic expectation of what a good shot is. I spend a good part of my life getting upset at myself for a million reasons, but one of them was I thought I was better than I was and that the shot should have been better than it turned out to be. That's another thing that keeps my temperature down is I hit all variety of terrible shots. You've seen it in that round of uh, the other day where I was two over after one and three over after 18. I still hit a variety of, you know, okay to a couple of really bad ones, but never so bad that I got in trouble that I couldn't get out of trouble with a par or a bogey. Uh, Because I, I also understand that from 160 yards, if I hit the green, that's a pretty good shot for me. Mm -hmm. It's a very good shot, actually. So that's uh, that was my little faucet uh, takeaway. Yeah, I, got, I just I just want to add a couple things before we uh, finish up on this. So you used a couple interesting words there talking about. Um, so you used the word realistic and should. And what I love about the word realistic is that it comes from the word real. And what faucet's helping us to understand what is reality in terms of when we apply it to expectations. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we're going to hit some shitty shots. Yeah. So when you make good decisions, when you make good you know, target selection, um, you're, uh, you're connecting to what's actually real. Yeah. The, the reality. And, and so that helps us in, in many ways. But I was reading um, every year I reread uh, Timothy Galway, Inner Game of Golf. And he was talking about how we're always barking things at us, what we should do and all that. There's that word should. Mm-hmm. So so should is saying this, it's not paying attention to what's real. It's what we think should happen. Mm-hmm. Expectations, what's 
were supposed to happen if we match the model, or we, if we do it right. And Galway had this, what he, he um, his initial, how we got into into this inner game of golf stuff, which inner game, which he applied to tennis, to music, business, everything, was it started off with him as a tennis coach. Right. And he said, the <laughs> he says the the tennis ball doesn't care where the tennis racket should be. <laughs> That's right. It cares where it is. And I just love that. Because what so often what we're doing in golf and tennis and all kinds of different things is that we're wishing things were different where it should be and all this mind chatter as opposed to what's really happening. <laughs> you know, where the the tennis racket actually is and what's the real thing in front of us? No, it's, there's so much in that. You know, I, I read something recently. I, I'm going to I won't probably botch it a little bit, but it's like most people's self-image comes from what they think people think of them. Mm-hmm. Like, totally. Well, yeah, it's like back to what, what, what Brendan was saying. No, exactly. And, and he had a lot of those thoughts. What do these guys think of my game? Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, one of the reasons that it goes back to Robert Jones saying that there's golf and then there's tournament golf. But I would even say to, you know, scale it back. There's golf and then there's golf when you feel some kind of, I don't know, results or, you know, even if it's just, you know, hey, Tim and I have got a game and the couple guys coming to play with us who've heard us on the show and they're like, oh, I want to show these guys that I know how to play. Because I've been that guy a million times. I've done that so much, you know. And it's only been, you know, I say recently, in the last few years that I've, I don't know, I feel good enough about myself. Well, I play with Charles. I talked about playing with Charlie Fitz, a former tour player, and a guy that is a plus five. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> a part of an earlier version of myself would not have been able to play anywhere near the game I played because I would have been so worried about the results of how I showed up and how could I swing a club and and all that stuff. Now, yeah, it's different because these guys know me. But still, I want to show that I can play golf. But I, I show that by my dedication to the process that I go through in order to play golf, which basically doesn't have me thinking about, you know, how good my golf swing feels that day. Yeah, and so in many ways, it's just it's just being your authentic self, like you know, and and starts from a position of I'm okay, no matter what happens here. Yes, I'm okay. Doesn't matter if I shoot a million today, I'm okay. No, absolutely, and that's that, that's hard for people to get. I think that's one of the hardest things for people to get their heads around. Yep, you know that we all are golfers. Like I could, I'm playing with one of my uh, GSL uh, double D's on uh, Friday. <laughs> I've been uh, doing sessions with this guy and corresponding with him. He's a great guy, good golfer, really good player. And, um, like, I'm really looking forward to it. And, you sure, I've I've had a few thoughts, like, you know, just because I'm a normal person. I've thought, oh, I, you know, hope I don't, not even hope I don't shoot a million. I really don't give a shit, to be honest with you. But I still have some lingering echo of, like, you know, what's that day going to be like? But I also yeah. know that on the day, whether I shoot 90 or I shoot 70, it doesn't really matter because he's a golfer. And we as golfers all know that 
All those possibilities exist. I had this conversation with Brendan when we were doing the debrief. I said, Brendan, you know, he shot 32 over par. And I said, so know that that's in available and so is 75 available to us all. And that's one of the reasons that I have a little bit more equanimity because I'm like, I'm not really interested in impressing this guy as my reason to be anymore. You know, like I'm just looking at it like what a fun round of golf this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Whatever the score. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause it is, um, every coach, every club pro goes yes. through that in <laughs> yeah. terms of like you play and go like, oh, you know, there's part of me. You know, if it starts to go sideways, oh, what's this guy going to think? <laughs> that's well, right. Fuck it. It doesn't matter. Oh, I went through that tons of times. But, you know, I don't think anybody ever, you know, wondered about – you know Bruce Boudreaux's ability to coach the Canucks based on his ability to uh, do a pylon drill. No, exactly. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I just doesn't laugh matter. because well, I always think about it. this. This would be a fun way to finish. I'll finish by recalling our first round, and uh, when I get, I've, I've been I've been uh, impressed and admire you for so many reasons for all the years we've been together but how it's the foundation of my admiration for you was this guy and we've been talking golf and you interviewed me for a profile and you were telling me all your golf experience and then the first round we played together you shanked about a dozen shots and you were so cool about it i'm like I'm, I, could, I could be friends with this guy <laughs> i could i could be friends with the shankadelic uh stylings of one timothy o'connor the Shankosaurus. The Shankosaurus Rex. All right. <laughs> well, that's a nice place to end. We'll thank uh, Brandon McCormick. What a, a great... Li- and you know what? I think it would be fun to have one of your guys on sometime, too. It'd be interesting to hear what they're learning. Thanks to JW Apparel, Inc., of course. Uh, looking forward to getting our new clothes. You should be, too, by the way. Uh, as well, don't forget TaylorMade Golf. You know, what can you say about TaylorMade? Uh, check out the uh, carbon wood and uh, get some of your own at tailormadegolf.ca. Tim O'Connor is available where? O'ConnorGolf.ca. Uh, I'm available. Uh, you can send me a notes on uh, Facebook, too, by the way. Humble and Fred uh, every day, obviously. And uh, Charles Fitzsimmons and I are going to be at the Early Bird on May 20th, the night before the tournament. Uh, we're putting on a little uh, talk, a little... GSL, Decade, uh, Eclipse, uh, Mental Performance. It's going to be quite a fun time. And uh, if you want to be part of it, uh, the um, I don't know if there are applications, but sign up at uh, the pro shop there in St. Thomas, and we'll see you on the 20th. And I will see, I'll see you next week. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, we're going to have next week next week's show. Looking to have, I think we're pretty sure we're going to have uh, Jonathan Wong. And Ed, Dr. Ed Collins. So yeah, the return of Dr. Ed. The pack show. Very, very good. Looking forward to it. Take care, everyone. He knows all the cards. Mighty strictly rhythm. He doesn't want to make it cry all soon.